This morning we have a privilege and opportunity to have you hear from a member of our congregation whom the elders are asking you as a church to affirm next week as a deacon for Grace Fellowship. We have two deacons, or we have one right now, we're asking you to affirm two. Next week we will have both the affirmation of this man and also the reaffirmation of Robert Motley who served so faithfully and with his team, and we don't want to leave them out because they do a lot, with his team as a deacon with responsibility over benevolence. And you, if you were here during our conference yesterday, uh, last week, you were able to hear uh, some, some of the wonderful things that have been able to, to be done because of the generosity of you, God's people, and the leadership of that team. The other area of ministry is the area of mercy. It involves things like reaching out to families who've undergone tragedies, death, illness, people who are in the hospitals, people who are in our nursing homes or retirement homes who may not have the family connections and the church connection that they once had. And having someone with a servant's heart take leadership in this area, we have found to be quite valuable in the past, along with their team, of course. Hal Cobb was the first person to step into those shoes and did such a marvelous job, really set a high standard for touching the lives of people through that mercy ministry. He was followed by Dave Barry, and he and his wife Janie and that team kind of picked up and carried on that tradition and did such a good job of touching people's lives and meeting needs. We've had a void for a little while that the team has been filling, but the elders are led now to share with you uh, Earl Smith as uh, our candidate to present to you to serve in the role of deacon with responsibility over the mercy ministry. And Earl's going to come forward right now, and he's going to share his testimony with you. We feel like it's important for you to know not only his heart, but also his calling and uh, his Christian character. And so, Earl, God bless you. We look forward to hearing, for, hearing you, and we'll be praying for you. Thank you, sir. Wouldn't you like to be following in the footsteps of Brother Howell and Miss Jane? Isn't that an honor? And you feel kind of inadequate, quite frankly, but... Anyhow, I know we have a lot of good help around here that we're going to put this, continue what's been going on, and uh, I'm honored to be considered for, to help and serve in this capacity, Uh, and I rejoice in that. But what I tell you today is really has to do with what (laughs) others have done in my life. And I say the facts are for you this morning. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Isaiah 65, 6 says, All our righteousness are as filthy rags. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, 2 says, and he was talking about Jesus, says, I determined to know. Anything among you save Jesus and him crucified. And in my spiritual walk, there are three significant dates that I, I consider, you know, that had a huge impact on, on my life. And the uh, first was my spiritual birth. Some would call that born again. Some would call that a life-changing experience. But in on... Uh, August 10th, 1951, in Davisburg, Georgia, not far from here, I walked forward and made a public profession of faith. 
That's August the 10th, 1951. And I don't think it's an uh, accident that I'm here to, to talk about this this morning because another three days it'll be my 60th anniversary, if you will, our birthday in Christ. And then another significant date was July the 15th, 1967. Carol and I... We've been married 44 years, and that was no accident either, bringing us together. And then in March the 13th, March the 31st, 1974, at Westside Baptist Church in St. Mary's, Georgia, I was ordained as a deacon with another young guy named Steve Funderburg, a great Christian, and uh, he's a sweet, sweet fellow. came from a, a wonderful family of, of people that love the Lord. So, the spiritual birth. I hope and pray that this morning that in your home there's a spiritual leader. It ought to be the husband followed with the wife. In our home, it was my mama. She prayed for me she prayed for my two brothers and my sister before we was ever born. She prayed for us after we were born and read the Bible to us. My daddy was not walking with the Lord in those days. It took something, it took 25, 30 years prayer and, and circumstances for him to be saved and get right with God. But Mama was determined that we were going to know and, and, and hear the word. So therefore, she read the Bible to us. She prayed with us, for us. Not only that, she hauled us off to church every Sunday morning, Sunday school. And there we experienced those teachers that had sold out to the Lord. They were exercising freedom in, in Jesus and serving the Spirit and teaching boys and girls about Jesus, teaching them about the word. And I was exposed to the gospel. In fact, back in those days, those of you of my generation, our generation should say, you know, we used to have Lord's Prayer, and we used to read the Bible in school, and talk, that's public schools now. I remember the time when we even memorized, the, for memory work, the Beatitudes. Times have certainly changed. So... Do through their efforts, names you don't know or recognize, maybe Miss Hartley, Miss Wilson. You knew Miss Gladys Spikes. She and Miss Tom moved up here after he reached uh, had a, um, uh, some physical problems. But he was my Sunday school teacher. Mr. Willingham, all those impacted my life of Christ. And as a result of that, I, I came to know the Lord. And as I said a minute ago, August the 10th, 1951, I went forward at a revival meeting there at, at the church and made my public profession of faith and later was, was baptized. Now, I was 10 years old. You could say, well, what did you know at 10 years old? How did you know that Jesus had saved you? How did you know that? Well, it... You know, they taught scripture like they didn't teach the depth of it to children. They taught God is love, be ye kind one to another. Maybe the 23rd, 23rd Psalm. Back in those days, you know, we had uh, RAs that uh, 
told you about uh, missionaries and, and so on. And you know the reason I know too. Number one, the Bible said so. Number two, I was there. I was there when it happened. Just like in uh, that date, July the 15th, when Carol and I got married, how did I know? I was there. And I can tell you another thing. Those, I might not have been in my right mind, really, but uh, I was there. <laughs> I was there, praise God, you know. But those of you that had a salvation experience with Jesus, you were there, too, if you had it. And if there's any doubt about it, that there's a way to, to solve that problem, solve that situation. So the results of others, I came to know Christ as my personal Savior. And I rejoice in that. You know, the uh, Romans 15, 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. In John one twelve, but as many as receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And then, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. John, uh, Paul said, you know, in Romans one sixteen, said, uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but it's the power of God and salvation to everyone to believe it, the Jew first and also to the Greek. But in Mark eight 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 thirty eight, Jesus is speaking here. He said, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me, and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So I'm not ashamed of Jesus. Probably you're not either. And then a verse that I love because of the security of salvation and knowing that it can't be taken from me. It cannot be taken from me. From you, it cannot be. In Romans 8, 38, one verse is like this. I, I, I love this. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other creature shall be able to separate from the love of God, which is Christ our Lord. Isn't it wonderful to know that what you possess in Christ, you cannot lose it by virtue of your sin or by virtue of your shortcomings. That in Jesus, and we cannot lose salvation. And can, you know, you recall the, the burden that was lifted at the time you came to know Jesus as your personal Savior? Do you remember that? Isn't that wonderful to have that like a monkey off of your back when that happened in your life? Then... And the, uh, the next point of fact, if you will, was the marriage. Carol and I got married July the 15th, 1967. And I can tell you again, that was no accident. I prayed God would provide me, send me, however you want to express it, a wonderful Christian wife. I love Jesus. He didn't miss it. He didn't miss out. She got the worst end of the deal. And I got the best end. I know that. And of course, most of you know that we, we've got uh, uh, two sweet good daughters as well. 
But in, in our marriage, we've been a, a part of five Southern Baptist churches, fellowships. And church has always been crucial, truthfully, in our lives. It's not the building, but it's the body of Christ. And when it, we moved to one location, and many of you have been in this same boat. You do the same thing. Uh, you always start looking, where are we going to go to church? What church are we going to? And you'd pray about it, and, you know, eventually you'd, you'd unite with the church. And there was never a question in our minds that when it came to service, whether we would be a part of the service, it was just a given. That not scriptural. I mean, you, you're a part of the body of Christ, then you're going to be serving in some capacity, sweeping the floor or taking up tables or just whatever that comes along, you know. And through the years, of course, just like, again, many of you, you've, you've left a lot of wonderful relationships behind, though you may see those people from time to time. And, and that's been, been our case uh, about church. Our, our home has been pretty much like the uh, example of the wagon wheel. We used to have a fellow to drive down out of the street to pull a muley wagon, you know, and, he had that, that wagon wheel there with, the, with his spokes. I don't know if that's the proper name, but John could probably tell me that. But he did have a hub. I know that was, that was right. But our, Jesus was the hub of our family, and the spokes that, that drifted out from, stitted out from that hub represented our activities. Now, Jesus in our life was not just an activity. He was the real McCoy. He was the thing. And we did our best to, to revolve around him, and not against our, not around uh, our other activities uh, at, at home. That's what we tried to do and tried to implement and tried to follow as far as uh, that was concerned. And then, of course, the next step was that I was ordained uh, there in the St. Mary's in March the 31st, 1974. I'm the pastor of uh, Joe McGill. He was the pastor. And in that uh, time I served with some wonderful men that mem- that mentored me as we served together I tell you it's been a heart rendering uh, this week as I was thinking about this as what happened uh, during those days because they love me love They loved us, and, and that most of them have gone on. As we mentioned this morning in our Bible study class, you know, they're still ministering from the grave because of so many people they, they impacted. I think about Morris Wilder. He was a wonderful man, and he, he's passed away. John Durham, he was a tail gunner on a B-29 in, in World War II, and he was saved after he, after he got out of service. And, and he had a, a heart for the lost you wouldn't believe. And I used to go with him from time to time when we'd go on a visitation. And this man named Sonny Trapnell, he just would not receive. Sonny was a great guy. Later years, he came to know Jesus, and he made up the difference by serving. And we buried him not long ago, but what an impact he had. And Bill Sparkman and Wade Reynolds. Brother Wade Reynolds was a guy with the CSX Railroad with the Seaboard Coastline then. Over at Folkestone, it came to work in, in the mill at St. Mary's, and his favorite saying was, God can take you like you are and make you what you ought to be. And that's, isn't that a wonderful thing? And that Mr. 
he and uh, he and his wife, Miss Adarine, were synonymous pretty much so with Brother Howell and Miss Jane, or, or others that you you think about, you know, in places that where you've been. And then uh, Brother Donald Jones. Brother Donald Jones had one of the sweetest dispositions and attitudes you've ever seen. He had uh, the rheumatoid arthritis, and how he was in pain quite a bit of the time, and yet what a spirit he had, gentle spirit, though in pain, though in suffering, he still served in a, in a huge way. I've had a lot of models to, to, to go after Jesus being the main uh, model, or uh, the model, you might say, for all of us. And with that said, and going back to those guys, we, during those days, we prayed a lot together. We laughed a lot together. We cried a lot together. And we broke bread a lot together. And I indebted to them as well as others. And so are you. Somebody asked you talk to you, discuss with you about coming to know Jesus as your personal Savior. Somewhere down the line. Now, some of you might have maybe found a Gideon Bible that the Lord spoke to your heart to realize that that could have taken place. So anyhow, we all indebted to somebody or someone else. And I praise God that for Christian people that have impacted my life for good, for the positive, and also my family and you might not find the best people in fellowships, but you won't find any better. That's for certain. Thank you.